everybody, and welcome into episode 54 of the Diamond Duo podcast. I'm Tony Puglisi, joined as always by my co-host and co-producer Tom Bauer, here to bring you the latest in MLB news, trades, transactions, and all other things going around the league in the middle of this offseason. This episode of the Diamond Duo broadcast is brought to you by Hope. Sorry, Angels fans, we know you don't have any left, but just figured I'd throw that in your face a little bit. I... <laughs> I had two intros in my head, Tom. One of them was baseball related, but a little mean. And one of them was not baseball related and may or may not have been funny. I don't know. And I went with that one. <laughs> well, you said I... the other one you said the other one was baseball related. No, the other one wasn't baseball related. Oh, yeah. See, I, I would like to blame Discord for me hearing that wrong. <laughs> it's been coming out, out on us for as long as we've been talking tonight, which is on goddamn near two hours. Yes, everybody. Hi, by the way. <laughs> we spent two hours literally BSing with each other before we actually hopped on to record at 1030 at night on a Sunday, January 29th. <laughs> Hey, well, we always do that, to be fair. And I, the funny thing about this one is Tom and I planned to do something, like to, just to test something out, like a, like a little game or a segment that we could use for the show or we could not, doesn't matter. And we didn't even get to that. We were just BSing <laughs> for an hour about trips, about football, about big time rush, about God knows what. I, I Last week, it was what, Cleveland Brown, like the Cleveland show? And this week, it's... <laughs> Jesus Christ, yeah. <laughs> this week, it's the Bengals and... God knows what else. Like the other intro, which full disclosure was going to be about the Bengals, not not to like drag the conversation into football. But Tom, you literally said this earlier. Like with all the shit that's going on, people saying the NFL is rigged, and you're like, oh man, thank God we're fans of just baseball, a sport completely <laughs> free of controversy. You know, with a commissioner who everybody loves. Yeah, so fair. The rules are great. There's no <laughs> referees or umpires in this case. No, it, it's all civil. No cheating scandals or anything. It's great. Nah, 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 nah. None of that stuff at all. This is a pure league. There's no manipulation of any sort of salary caps. There's no owners <laughs> thinking their teams are 500 teams when you only sign two players in the offseason and that both suck ass. Um, there's no international free agency drama every single year. N none, none of this crap ever happens in baseball. No, definitely not. Baseball is a pure organization, just like hockey, and it's shitty all-star voting. Which, mm. this is not a hockey podcast, but I could go on a rant about that. Maybe I'll start a hockey podcast just by myself where I could rant about the Islanders. We could talk about that for f***ing ever, Tom. Just the fact that I've been to so many Islander games and have not seen a win. I'm thankful, though, that it's not <laughs> the same with the Yankees. I think I haven't seen a Yankees loss since, like, April. So that's, that's nice. at least Aren't a good thing. Or do you like one in 12 all time at Islanders games or something like that? Not all time. I'm technically two and, like, 14. <laughs> Oh, so even worse. Great. <laughs> yeah, but the winning percentage is lower, but I have more than one win. To be fair, that one win was the last game at the Coliseum. And you know what's sad? I think I even said after that, like, oh, man, because that was a great game. If you didn't know the last game, they won in an overtime against the Lightning, who went on to win the cup that year. We don't need to talk about how that season ended. I literally said, like, oh, man, that was such a great game and an amazing experience. It's still like my favorite experience at a live sporting event. Like, I don't care what else happens. I have this memory. I think I should have chosen my words a little more carefully, because now <laughs> since graduating, I've seen one win and 11 losses. I have taken my girlfriend to several Islander games. And they've not even come close to competing in any of them. I'm sorry, hon, if you're listening. 
it's, it's like when you make a wish to a genie but the genie like kind of screws with you a little bit that's exactly what happened with tony in that last moment no he's like yeah i'll show you one of your franchise's best wins one of the highlights of their entire franchise but you're not gonna see after that have fun <laughs> there's a catch there's always a catch i'm not gonna get into a rant i already rant about them in the group chat every time I go to a game. So let's get on with the episode where we talk about not hockey. Uh, But before we get into not hockey, let's get some disclaimers out of the way. We are recording the evening of Sunday, February, not February, January 29th. This is off to a great start. It's about 1030 in the PM, because like Tom said, we were just BSing for like an hour, hour and a half. Anything that happens after January 29th, but before whenever this episode goes up, obviously isn't going to get covered and hopefully Carlos Correa actually stays with his team this time so Tom and I won't have to record in the middle of the week three times uh Mm. (laughs) I have something to say about that and it's because still the twins bit us in the f***ing ass literally the last time we released an episode two (laughs) as if we don't have enough reason to brood against the twins already God damn it. That's disclaimer number one. Disclaimer number two, follow us on social media, please. We're at Diamond Dua Pod on Twitter. We're the Diamond Dua Podcast on Instagram. We've got graphics. We've got show updates. We've got a graphic from what we did last episode going up sometime soon, and that's the Diamonds Double Dozen, the top 24 players in Major League Baseball, plus honorable mentions, which, spoiler alert, we had to take out one of our honorable mentions because it would look weird to have four per graphic and then one randomly with five. <laughs> So we're, we're, we're totally not going to get crucified for our top 24 ranking at all if we get oh, any no. sort of traction on this whatsoever. Could you imagine? Like, this is how our like, how the podcast blows up and becomes big. It's because everyone just shits on the top 24. <laughs> Somebody's going to wonder why we didn't put Carlos Correa there. I'm like, go listen to like the past three episodes. <laughs> we didn't want to talk about him literally anymore. Absolutely not. He got disqualified Honestly. just on top of because of all the stupid <laughs> that's happened with him in the offseason we have a vendetta against carlos correa now that's why he doesn't deserve it he he's a top 30 player now he'll survive he'll be okay if his knee gives it doesn't give out his ankle but close enough ankle whatever all right so those disclaimers out of the way let's get right into the episode and as always for the offseason we're gonna start it the way we normally start it just by going through the latest of transactions over the past week or so. I think we've got a little bit more than we did last week. Last week, we only had about 10, give or take about 15 this time. And not all of them are Nelson Cruz to the Padres levels of uh, epic. Uh, I mean, there is one amazing one. I mean, guys, the Oakland A's made a splash. Just just you wait. We'll get to it. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be doing the same as usual. I'm going to take five transactions. Tom's going to take another five. We're just going to kind of go back and forth and highlight the big ones at the very end. Tom, shall I begin or shall you? Ah, who began last time? You know, we should have really had this organized. Um, Oh, probably. I'm going to say I went went second last time. So I will kick things off right here. All right. And we're going to start things off with a real slapper because Tommy Pham and the Mets agree with a one-year deal worth $6 million. Yes, I wanted to go first just so that way I can make a Tommy Pham joke. Low-key, that's all I wanted to do. You know what? I'm happy you did that because that didn't even cross my mind. Kudos. Uh, (laughs) Oh, Steve Cohen, don't add him to your uh, big money fantasy football league. Otherwise, it will not go over well in the uh, front office. Uh, (laughs) 
in months to come um also on the Mets front uh Tomas Nito and the Mets agreed to a two-year 3.7 million dollar extension they already have Omar no- Omar that's what I meant to say not Omar, Omar. yeah thank you uh Omar Narvaez they also have Francisco Alvarez and now they have Tomas Nito I guess you can never have too much depth at catcher Speaking of a depth piece, Jeff McNeil, a four-year deal worth $50 million plus a fifth-year option that'll make it around $63.75 million. With the Mets, Jeff McNeil, the Flying Squirrel, gets an extension. Literally took it right out of the Alex Anthopoulos playbook of how to sign your roster up for cheap. I literally have no idea how they did this. He literally just won the batting title, and this man's is like, you know what? $50 million is good enough for me. So, I mean, if it's good enough for him... It's good enough for us, I guess you could say. Um, Well, we go from New York to one person who's taking a rocket right out of New York. The Cuban Missile himself is heading to Kansas City, y'all. Home of the Chiefs, and they definitely didn't get rigged into the Super Bowl. But they will have a Rolda <laughs> Chapman on a one-year $3.75 million deal. That will be up to $4 million in incentives, as Tony put in the rundown. And I will echo, praise Jesus. He is out of New York. I guess his strategy here is he's going to try and go to Kansas City and then hope to be good enough to get shipped off at the deadline. Maybe he'll learn some humility here in Kansas City. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) We'll find out, I guess. Um, Oh, yeah, here's the one. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Hey, I'm kind of happy you got it so you could go on the biblical rant now. Oh, goody, because I wrote down down a uh, very intriguing thought about this in my notes. Literally. We f***ed around with the twins, and we found out the day the episode dropped. We were shitting on them for the Carlos Correa thing and that whole debacle in the last week's episode. <laughs> Literally the day this episode drops, Luis Arias, the American League batting champion. Could you believe there was transactions for both of them in the same exact week? <laughs> well, he's getting <laughs> shipped off to Miami, who desperately needs offense. For Pablo Lopez. Rip, he's not going to be a Yankee. Also, Jose Salas, Miami's fifth pro- uh, fifth best prospect, and Byron Churio, uh, Miami's 11th ranked prospect at the time of the trade, goes back to Minnesota. And also, Jazz Chisholm will be moving to center field, because why the hell not? He literally said that he's going to move to center field and win the gold glove, so if that's not enough motivation for him to come back and maybe play 80 games this year instead of 60, then you know <laughs> what? Good enough for him. Also, he'll probably be on the cover of MLB The Show 23. Uh, that's what all the signs are pointing to on Twitter. I could be wrong, and that would look really bad right here if that is the case. <laughs> um, Tony, I took three. Um, do you want me to just do two more to make it even, or would you like to take over here? Uh, if you'd like. There were like little mini transactions in there, so. Cool. Then I guess I'll make these. Uh, oh, f- holy shit. There's a lot of Tampa Bay deals. I forgot about that. Here, you do the next one, and then I'll pick up with Tampa Bay. Oh, I skipped the other Twins deal. I forgot about that one because, yeah, Mm -hmm. I forgot a lot about what the Twins did. We literally just mentioned the Twins and the Royals back-to-back. Well, we're going to do it again. The Twins received Michael A. Taylor from the Royals in exchange for left-handed pitcher Evan Sisk and right-handed pitcher Steven Cruz. Blockbuster for the Minnesota Twins and the Kansas City Royals. Honestly, a good defensive depth for the Twins when inevitably Byron Buxton, like, breaks his leg and something else in the middle of the season and only plays 20 games. I mean, hey, if you can't do any better than Byron Buxton, screw it. Just go go ahead and get Michael Triple A Taylor. I knew a buddy who lived in D.C. around the time D.C. won the World Series, the Nationals. Yeah. And he had a friend who was a Nationals fan and he would always call Taylor quadruple, like, I think it was, I think it was quadruple A Taylor, actually. 
And when he hit the home run off of Cole in the World Series, bro, the way this kid went crazy. I think it was his roommate. He was at college at the time. I mean, that was it. Like, he had a roommate. Like, he hates the Nationals now because A, Baby Shark, and B, all of his friends were so obnoxious about bleh, obnoxious about them at the time. <laughs> I'll always say I love that team because they beat the Astros, and he goes, yeah, f*** them. See, you mentioned Baby Shark, and I almost wanted to go and improv uh, another sing-along session with Tom Bauer. Oh, where I did baby shark, I, but I'm going to refrain from doing it because it's 1030 at night. And you know what? I had to edit the cars for kids thing last time. This is in the first half. <laughs> you would have to edit baby shark. So, you know, what? I'll do it at the end of the episode just so that way you have to edit it. <laughs> and I'll cut it out of the episode. You know, I do have the outro this week. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. And a one and a two. <laughs> Let, let's keep going with the trades before you actually break into song. I'm worried now. Yeah, please. Um, let's go over to the Rays because somebody apparently woke their GM up from his 20,000 year slumber and he realized he could sign his players to extensions because we've got three of them. The Rays signed starting pitcher Jeffrey Springs to a 4x31 extension. They signed Yandy Diaz, one of the most underrated third basemen in baseball, to a three-year $24 million extension. And bonafide closer Peter Fairbanks gets three years and $12 million. I am really impressed they managed to do this, all for such low prices. I mean, you know, Jeffrey Springs is a nice middle-of-the-rotation arm. He had a breakout season last year. Yandy Diaz has always been a nice, solid, on-base third baseman. On-base third baseman. Yeah, on-base guy for the, I must say for the Rangers, for the Rays. And Pete Fairbanks had a great season out of the pen last year, so honestly, solid moves. If they don't blow up in their faces, it's not like they spent a lot of money anyway, because they're the Rays. Hey, speaking of not spending a lot of money, let's talk about <laughs> Oakland. Because, Tom, I'm going to quote myself in our group chat. I think the A's are straight up going to win like 40 games this year. They have an embargo, apparently, to get rid of every player who's ever done well for them for a mid-level prospect that probably isn't even going to make the show. Case in point. You remember Cole Irvin from last year, starting pitcher who had, you know, like not the best season ever, but still like he broke out, had like a three something ERA. I want to say like a 120 OPS plus. Yeah, I remember when he was good. He was on my fantasy team before he sucked because I picked him up for my fantasy team. Oh, you know, that really sucks for you and your fourth place fantasy team. I mean, hey, not everyone's perfect. Mm. So the A's apparently thought that too. You know, no one's perfect like us. We're not perfect. We suck. Let's get rid of what makes us good. They traded Cole Irvin to the Baltimore Orioles. And not just that, they traded him along with a right-handed pitcher by the name of Kyle Verbitsky. That's a cool last name. And in return, they got a minor league infielder by the name of Daryl Hernaiz. H-E-R-N-A-I-Z. Yep, the A's sure are tanking. And if they don't get the first overall pick next year because of the lottery, I'm going to laugh even harder at them because this is just kind of depressing at this point. If no one wants to root for the A's anymore, I don't blame you. Cole Irvin's literally 28 with years left on his contract. Oh my god. <laughs> it's kind of depressing. Yeah, he's, he's literally eligible for arbitration. God damn it, A's. You can't do anything right. Let's move on. This is not a player transaction, but it is rather a uh, staff transaction. The Braves extended Bryant Snitker through the 2025 season. This would have been the last year on his contract. Good for Snitker. Good for the Braves. I love this move. Some more moves from the executive branch of another team. This time the Astros. They named Dana Brown as their newest general manager to re uh, to replace James Click. Brown used to be 
the vice president of scouting for the aforementioned Braves. He also used to work as a special front office assistant for the Blue Jays, the director of scouting for the Montreal Expos and their eventual move to D.C. when they first became the Nationals. I think he may have scouted Steven Strasburg, but don't don't quote me on that. Uh, and he actually began in his time in baseball in the 90s with the Pirates as their area supervisor for their scouting department. So big time scouting guy. The Astros are already amazing at scouting. This, I think, sounds like a good move for them, especially considering who their other option was. And apparently that was Tigers <laughs> legend Brad Ausmus. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> he, must have, he must have a gift of gab because I don't know how a man with that pitiful of a managerial record gets his way to the front office of a team. But you know what? They didn't do it. So props to you, Houston. Would have been Damn funny, it. but I think Dana Brown is probably the right move. Did you say something? Yeah, I said, damn it, I wanted them to get Brad Ausmus. <laughs> Make their team worse by proxy? You know, I'd be okay with that. Tom, why don't you take why don't you take the remaining five, since we do have five left? Eh, sure, why not? And I'll rattle these off relatively quickly, because they're... Well, one of them is monumentous, but uh, the other ones are just mm -hmm. mid. Um, first one is mid. Uh, trade between the Red Sox and the Royals. I guess they're on a shopping spree. Probably had something to do with arbitration and all that stuff, but whatever. At Alberto Mondesi and a player to be named later for Josh Taylor. That is Mondesi going to Boston. Josh Taylor, the pitcher, going back to Kansas City. And Boston also designated Matt Barnes for assignment to clear a spot. I'm calling it right now. The Phillies are going to pick him up. Adam Duvall to the Red Sox. One year, $7 million and up to a $10 million deal with incentives honestly that's a pretty solid contract i'll give him that one as long as he doesn't like hit 211 like he did when he was almost named an all-star player um last season with the braves <laughs> brian anderson remember when he was good for the miami marlins well now he's a milwaukee brewer for one year at 3.5 million dollars how the mighty have fallen tommy Listella uh to the seattle mariners for one year at 720k and now drum roll please this is a huge deal. Thank you, Tony. This is a Anytime. huge, huge deal on the West Coast. I would argue to the monument of Carlos Correa going to the San Francisco Giants before they pulled the plug. And you know who's their Bay Area rival? The Oakland A's. They said, you know what? We almost they we almost let Carlos Correa go to the Giants. We're gonna sign a Zeus Aguilar to the Oakland A's. For one year at $3 million, that'll show the Giants who is displays their dominance. At any rate, I don't know where I left off. I, I'm probably jump-cutting right now. I said a bad joke that's not going in the podcast. Uh, something about the size of areas and regions. Um, <laughs> you just said it. <laughs> you took an I don't know what that means, though. That could be geographical. That could be something completely different. Who's you gonna envision take that it in any other context? <laughs> you envision it. You think about it however you want. Jesus Aguilar is in Oakland. Sure. <laughs> I almost feel like we should deep dive this move now, just so we could get more bloopers out of you, man. No. <laughs> God damn it! All right, that's that's all of them, right? I don't have the rundown pulled up. Yeah, that's it. Um. <laughs> I, I feel like with all the hype we built up around it, we got to start with the Arias trade, right? Yeah, I guess we can start there. Unless you want to start with the Aguilar deal and get more bloopers out of yourself, because that, that might be the move, too. I'd rather not talk about that again. I was going to say something bad again, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so, Luis Arias, again, as I mentioned, 
one of two batting champs that were on the transaction wire in the past two weeks. Again, Arise going to Miami, going to Minnesota was Pablo Lopez, Jose Salas, and Byron Chirillo. And with this, Jazz Chisholm goes to center field. I guess the place to start with this is Minnesota. Why are you getting rid of your best bat? Like, I know Carlos Correa is there. I know Byron Buxton's there. I know Joey Gallo is there. Pause. I know. But this dude literally just won the batting title. He's a Tony Gwynn light. Why would you want to get rid of Luis Arise? I know you needed the pitching depth. I know. And I know you have prospects waiting in the ringer, and I know you can manipulate stuff around the infield to make it however you want with the lineup. Rocco Baldelli will have a field day without Luis Arias in his lineup, probably. I know it's kind of like a need-for-need type move, because Miami really needed a bat, and this is a good move for them. They weren't going to keep Pablo Lopez anyway. They have a bunch of young arms in the waiting. They actually got, I think, a... Actually, I don't know if I want to say it's a good deal because they ended up training their fifth and their 11th best prospect out of it. But I guess if they considered Luis Arias their best pool um, of players that they could get and they wanted Arias, then hey, they got their man. Congratulations. They don't have to rely on hopefully a prospect churning out for them because that really hasn't worked out so well for them in recent years anyway, a la Luis Brinson. I don't know. I mean, again, it's a need-for-need type deal here. That's all I really see it as, Tony. I'd probably lean toward Minnesota getting the win a little bit, but even then, I'm not giving them too much of a win here. I'm going to agree with you in the sense that it is need-for-need. Like, Minnesota, the fact that they have Pablo Lopez right now, that's going to do wonders for their rotation with that 1-2-3 punch of Lopez, Joe Ryan, and Sonny Gray. If they can get Bailey Ober to stay healthy, and, oh my god, I forgot they have Tyler Malley too, and Kenta Maeda, sh- I forgot he was hurt. I'm pretty sure they also signed somebody else in free agency too who was a starting pitcher, but I'll get back to that in a minute. They extended Paddock, that might be what you're thinking of. Oh god, yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> Perennial long relief guy, yeah, I know, but even still, a five-man rotation of Ryan, Lopez, Gray, Ober, and Maeda, or even then, Malley? That's really good. If if Ober doesn't show up, oh well, you have Kenta Maeda and Tyler Malley. I like that rotation. It's not the best in baseball by any means, but it's still, it's serviceable. Bare minimum, you'll be able to compete, compete in the AL Central. That's a given. And honestly, I'm looking up and down their depth chart. I like their depth. Just in terms of, like, I'll say this. There's an asterisk. There's a lot of ifs. If Alex Kirilov could stay healthy and produce, if Trevor Larnack can produce, if Nick Gordon and Jose Miranda can come off of their relatively good 2022s, especially Miranda. I've heard a report actually somewhere that he like leaned, got a little more lean, like slimmed down a little bit and looks better going into next year. So who knows if he ends up performing well as their everyday first baseman, then cool. Uh, not Sorry, not first baseman, third baseman. Uh, who would the, the first baseman be? I guess Kirilov. I don't know. Sano's not there anymore. Middle infield of Polanco and Correa sounds nice. They've also got Royce Lewis. If he ever gets healthy, no, Joey Callow. Yeah, I don't consider him depth, at least not yet. We'll see how he adjusts with the shift gone, but I like the move for Minnesota a lot. I, I think more than Miami for sure, because the way I see Arias, I-, I like the fact that he's still young. He's only 25. He's got plenty of control on that contract. And like you said, Tom, he hits like Tony Gwynn. My thing with him is he's really a one-trick I don't want to say one-trick pony because he does play defensively rather well, but he really just, he's a contact machine who plays pretty good defense in the infield. If one of those tools goes away, he's replacement level, basically. I, I don't want to trash the guy after a great season, probably the best season on the Twins, 
But I don't know, contactability, if you're a one-tool player like that, that's you're kind of walking the tightrope here. Like, he doesn't steal a ton of bases, he doesn't hit for power at all, and he's not particularly quick on his feet. He's not slow, but he's also not, you know, Trey Turner. So, I don't know. I like the move for Miami in a vacuum, just because they do need that offensive help. And who knows, if he and Gene Segura and Jazz Chisholm go off, and they have another solid year from Garrett Cooper then great, they'll have a decent season. I don't think they'll have a good season in the division they're in, but a decent one. That's a step up for Marlins fans, I imagine. Not to mention, last thing I'll say about this trade, if those prospects become anything good for the Twins, Miami hardcore loses this deal. Because I think Pablo Lopez is a solid number two, number three pitcher. If those prospects grow to help you as well, that's just, that's just bonus. That's just a huge bonus right there for a guy who was basically a depth piece just a year prior. So good on the Twins, okay on the Marlins, not the worst trade ever. Yeah, so I want to go back on what you were saying about Arias. Here's the thing with him, he doesn't strike out, which is a rarity in today's game. He also doesn't walk a whole lot, but he still has a very respect— Actually, he has a 374 on base percentage. I'm not going to even complain if he doesn't walk that much, because that's still a really good OBP. For his career, that is. Last year, was 375. Um, But yeah, he doesn't hit for power, so yeah, if that trait goes away— that's kind of a problem, but the good news is he's such a rarity in today's game that he'll still be a commodity, even if he hits like 280 or something like that. You can always rely on a guy who's just going to churn hit after hit after hit for you in an offense that's desperate for some um, offense uh, down in Miami. So that's good for them, but yeah, they're they're not going to be good. They got too much of a steep competition right ahead of them. They're not going to be a wild card team because at least all three of those teams are competing for the division. Two of them might get the wild card. So this is a future move, if anything. Like you said, he's young. He'll be 26 next season. So there you go. And then for the Twins, uh, I guess I was thinking of Chris Paddock because they really didn't sign any other starring pitcher that I saw on my long list of transactions from the offseason, so I do apologize for that. But yeah, I agree. Lopez did fall off kind of hard in the second half last year, which is, again, why partially why the Miami Marlins wanted to trade him. It is what it is, but I I really like what they're kind of building in Minnesota for as much as we kind of crap on them. They're take although a lot of their guys I will say that they signed they're having to take chances on them that in hopes that they can recover like Christian Vasquez mm-hmm. uh Joey Gallo I was going to say Joey Urshela but I don't know why I was thinking of Gio Urshela <laughs> don't don't ask why so yeah it, it, it's guys that just need another chance and Pablo Lopez will get a chance to rebound Again, I, I don't really count the prospects too much as just kind of layering on top of it for Minnesota. So it, it's, again, probably more of a win for Minnesota, and I'll leave it at that. It'll definitely help them compete in that division because it is a relatively weak division. So we're kind of going to go in a different direction with a move, some moves that you might not think we would need to really harp on, but I think it kind of makes for a bigger general discussion about a team that we've touched on a little bit in the offseason in a negative light, but now we're going to try and spin them in a positive light. And that's the Boston Red Sox, again, acquiring Alberto Mondesi. They gave up Josh Taylor, they designated Matt Barnes for assignment, but they weren't going to do a whole lot for them anyway, let's be honest. They also picked up Adam Duvall in the past two weeks, too, to sure up their outfield depth. And Tony, I, I kind of liked what you were saying, like, off the uh, mic when we were talking literally a second ago before we decided, hey, we're going to talk about the Red Sox for X reason. And that's because we've kind of shit on them, because, but... 
in reality, they're kind of like the twins here, where they're taking chances on a lot of these guys, where I have mentioned it before on the show, like, there's these Red Sox teams that just come out of nowhere like a bat out of hell and do really good. For example, what about that ALCS team that literally made it in 2021? Did anybody really expect them to go that far? Mm -hmm. Did anybody? But I expect that 2013 team to really go anywhere. Are they? I'm not saying they're going to make the World Series or make the playoff season, but do they have a chance to surprise? Is really what we're trying to get at here. See, I want to be bullish on the Red Sox. I honestly, I, well, as a Yankees fan, I don't, but as a fan of baseball, I really want to because there's a lot of guys on this roster who are really hard to root against. Like, when you look at all the question marks they've acquired or are going to be relying on next season, you've got Chris Sale, if he could stay healthy. You've got Brian Bayo, if he could live up to the hype he's built up as a prospect. If Corey Kluber can keep up what he did last year, uh, maybe not so much him, but, you know, <laughs> Kenley Jansen had kind of a rocky season in Atlanta. Can he be the closer? If not, will Cora be smart and plug in a guy like John Schreiber or uh, Tanner Houck? Or not Tanner Houck, what's his name? Garrett Whitlock. Or how about two of their bullpen guys that they added? Because they've got a decent bullpen. I'm looking down the list. Joely Rodriguez they added. Chris Martin they Chris also Martin. added. you got to remember Kenley Jansen. I mentioned Kenley. Well, I didn't hear that. I was looking at Chris Martin. <laughs> I was too excited to talk about my guy who won't be the closer. Yeah. <laughs> um, Another big guy, Tristan Cassis. Literally big guy. He's 6'4", 252. Christ almighty. Justin Turner is going to be their everyday DH. Trevor Story is going to start off hurt, so we will see what's going on with that. And now they add probably their biggest question mark in Adalberto Mondesi, who I saw a stat, Tom, that I think it was of the previous two or three seasons the Royals have had, he's played in 40% of their games. Hmm. Like He's quite possibly the hardest player to judge in baseball right now because when he's on the field, dude's electric he's this nice combination of power speed defense he strikes out a little bit too much and he doesn't walk a whole ton but if he gets hot he gets stupid hot like i remember there were there were times on the royals where it looked like he might have a higher trade value than whit merrifield if he can come to the red sox and just stay healthy until story gets there he's not going to be their answer long term obviously they've got nick york they signed Story long-term to hopefully he could stay healthy too. I'm talking about Mondesi being hurt. Story's literally starting off the season months out of commission probably. But I don't know. A lineup to me of Reese McGuire at catcher, Cassis at first if he pans out, Story at second eventually, Mondesi at short, a newly extended Rafi Devers at third, and then an outfield of Adam Duvall, who, if he bounces back, should be solid. Home run power. Masataka Yoshida, who you may have remembered the Japanese left fielder they signed in the offseason, should be a nice guy for the top of their lineup. And in right field, you've got Alex Verdugo, who's starting to become one of the longer tenured guys there with Xander gone. That's not a bad core. That really is... If they pan out, that's not a bad core. You may have heard there's a lot of question marks in there. Like, who's going to perform? Who's going to stay healthy? Who's going to live up to the hype? I'm, I'm like you, Tom. I'm not just going to say they're going to go to the World Series. But I've also learned in my years watching baseball, especially as a fan of a division rival, don't count them out. Like, I know there's a lot of Red Sox fans calling for Cora's head, calling for Bloom's head. To be fair, Bloom has had it coming. But if this team surprises folks next year, I would not be surprised. Do I think they're going to go crazy in the division? I don't know if they beat the Yankees or, or Blue Jays, but we'll see. That's all I'm going to say. We'll see. If the team surprises, I think they might be able to sneak into a wildcard spot. 
Yeah, I, I don't know who's calling for Alex Cora's head, like you mentioned. I am Bloom. I can absolutely agree with that. I was calling for his head literally last episode, probably. <laughs> but, like, I don't know about Alex Cora, though, man. But uh, I'll, I'll kind of harp on that. At Alberto Mondesi. Tony, do you want to have a—here's a trivia question for you. I hope you don't have his okay. baseball reference pulled up or have looked at it. How many years do you think Adalberto Mondesi has played in the big leagues? Like total years or just like when did he debut? Total years. I think he debuted in 2015 during the World Series run. So I'm going to say, well, it's 2023 now. So what? that's what, seven or eight years now? Yeah, seven years. And how how many of them has he played over 100 games? Two. One. <laughs> One season. And we're not counting 2020 because he was fully healthy for that. So that that was 59 games. But believe it or not, that 59-game season was his third highest in terms of playing time in total games. That was his third highest season. He's played 75 in 2018. He played 102 games in 2019 as a 23-year-old. That is his career high. Oh, my God. So I I don't know how much hype I can really put around Adalberto Mondesi getting healthy. Like, I wish him nothing but the best, but... He's played 358 games in seven years. Hold on. I want to pull something up. Yeah. Continue talking. So I can't put a lot of confidence in it. Also, keep in mind, he only played 15 games last year before he had to get shut down for the entire season. He didn't even play in the minors for any sort of rehab. So we'll see what he can do um, in terms of that. But I'm not going to be rooting too hard on Mondesi Duval Again, that's a decent move. I like that for the depth. I, I, I just wanted to point out a stat that I saw from Fangraphs because they always are so accurate when they put out their projections. I'm pretty sure they had Yoshida tied first an MLB for batting average in terms of their projections this year that they thought that he was going to be in like first place with like a 299 average or something like that I could be mistaken maybe it's in the franchise but whatever his numbers were I'm like he's hit over 300 in pretty much every single season in Japan but I'm not expecting him to be a 300 hitter necessarily rile the gate in Boston if he is great they got a spark plug they got a great player that could lead them to a spark but just get the hell out of here with that stuff. But do I think the Red Sox can make some noise? Absolutely. Do I think it's going to lead them past third place? No. I don't want to discount the Rays ever because they're so sneaky good with their pitching and they know how to get the most out of their guys to win 90 games. But this is the Blue Jays well, and the Yankees. Div- yeah, exactly. It's the Yankees and the Blue Jays division to lose until the Rays turn around and actually win the division in 2023 or they f*** around and they're like in first place at the trade deadline or something like that that'll be the time i put some actual interest in the Rays and be like okay they'll actually win the division but the red sox i think they're honestly about two years away from actually making a run at the al east again or better yet making legitimate runs at the wild card again they're a little too young but they've got decent pieces but it doesn't necessarily mean they're all clicks. I'll put them on my radar for teams that could surprise in 2023 because they have made some decent, meaningful offseason moves, but eh, I don't know how much stock I really want to put into them. What did you uh, look up, by the way? I was going to say, it's kind, of, it's kind of a past point. It was about Mondesi. There is an article on MLBTradeRumors.com, just, just about the trade. They have one paragraph that goes in on Mondesi's injury history and i said paragraph which by the way that stat i read earlier it was from here and that's dating back to 2018 where he's played only 40 percent of their games he's only played that many because of 
a right shoulder impingement, a groin strain, a pair of left shoulder sublux subluxations, a left hamstring strain, an oblique strain, and now most recently, what shut him down last year, a f***ing torn ACL. So, yeah, the guy is dynamite when he's healthy. Like, do not get me wrong. Amazing player when he's healthy. Mm. Cannot rely on him, though. Like, I, I want to be high on him because he's such a fun player to watch, especially if he's going to be that Xander plug until Marcelo Mayer gets here. I just don't know. Yeah. Also, another reason he may have not have had another season over 100 games. Also, keep in mind, he got popped for PEDs at one point and it got a 50-game suspension. I actually forgot about that. Yeah, I believe that was around 2016, if I'm not mistaken. So, But yeah, health either way is not on his side, is what we're trying to emphasize with the utmost degree. We'll see how their season goes. We'll see how all their season goes. We're probably going to do, like, as we get closer to the season, like, teams we're high on versus teams we're low on. Like, maybe some sneaky teams as we get closer to the season. Like, obviously, if you say, like, I'm high on the Astros, well, good for you. So is everybody. I I'm honestly a little higher on a team like the Diamondbacks versus the Red Sox next year. But if we do that segment, I'll save that discussion for then. For the time being, we've got to move on. And we've got a couple more stories to get through. Two quick ones, and then we'll get to probably the biggest one of the past two weeks. And it's what we dedicated most of uh, an episode, a recent episode to. So let's get through these two really quick. Uh, Mike Clevenger is in the news. And it's not for a particularly good reason. Um, mm. The recent C... Uh, what did I just say? The recent free agency signing from the White Sox is now under investigation from the league for a possible violation of the MLB's domestic violence policy. Hmm. Not what you want to hear, not what you want to see. Now, at the time we're recording this, nothing's definitive yet. He's not been suspended. He's not been indicted. He's not been anything. This could all just be hearsay. So I'm not just going to go out and write call him like, oh my God, what a piece of shit. But let's just say... I don't know if I want to say exactly what he's accused of, because honestly, it's kind of heinous. If it's true, not a really good look, and it's starting to make more sense that he and Trevor Bauer were on the same rotation at one point in time. And I want to point light at that. Um, they're also friends, but uh, I'm not going to even go any more into that, because uh, he, Mike Clevenger, again, if it's true, he's a total piece of shit. And I'm not going to go into the details either, because quite frankly, I don't want to go into the details, because they are gruesome. If you want to know what they are and what he's accused of, you can go look it up for yourself, but if there's any sort of evidence that comes out that says, hey, this actually happened, he's not going to be finding a spot back in MLB for a very long time, if at all. For a guy whose career has kind of gotten off the rails with injuries and all that stuff, add in a 32-year-old guy who's in gonna maybe be suspended or something for domestic violence y yeah it's not a recipe for success so yeah clevenger let's just say i don't think he'll be starting the year with the chicago white Sox anymore it just happens to be the chicago white Sox, of course they always somehow find drama on their damn roster but <laughs> I, I don't even want to point the uh light at them because they might not have even known if they did know and they signed him anyway with the intent of it just kind of going away or just eating the suspension, then I'll be turning the tables when that actually becomes something. But I'm not going to accuse them of that necessarily until justice actually plays out. Obviously, we're not going to go on a big tirade about it because the situation is still, again, up in the air. We're going to wait and see what happens. It just always sucks in a story like this because, uh, well, obviously. Uh, hopefully, if it is true, though, the league does take proper steps to suspending him ensuring that again like you said Tommy's definitely not starting the season with the White Sox which sad to say even with that 
delayed start. He'll probably have a better ERA than Lucas Giolito. Still very preliminary. We'll see where it goes. Uh, I mean, hopefully they turn up nothing. Hopefully this is all just hearsay. So that's, that's at least that's where I want to leave it, just because it's still such a fresh case. If you have something to add, just let me know. Otherwise, I'm just going to move on. And it's, it sucks to say, because this is another sad story, but for a completely different reason. And that's because Oakland A's legend and Milwaukee Brewers legend Sal Bando has unfortunately passed away just a few short days ago on January 20th of this year. He was a major league veteran of 16 years, pretty much the team captain of the swing and A's squad that won three World Series in a row in the early to mid 70s. Low key, one of the most underrated third baseman of all time. Guy put up a 61.5 career war. It's not Scott Rowland levels of, you know, underrated third baseman. I think Rowland was in the 70s, but for being a guy on that team, you know, drowned out by talent like Reggie Jackson and Catfish Hunter and Vita Blue, etc., you know, Raleigh Fingers, he was a rock in that rotation consistently. And something that an article I read pointed out, again, actually from MLB Trade Rumors, in a team that was always, you know, ripe with controversy with, you know, their owner who was very meddlesome at the time, a bunch of their players getting into trouble with him, getting in trouble, you know, during the game, fighting in the locker room. Bando was always that low-key guy, the guy who kind of kept the team together, you know, that one pillar, I guess you could say, that never got heated with anything, I guess, except with Charlie O, you know, their owner. <laughs> it's actually funny, the article mentions a couple times where he got into you know, disputes with him about contract extensions and arbitration, but that's obviously more to Charlie Finley, a noted, basically snake oil salesman owning a major league team, notoriously cheap, but now more so to Bando, he had a fantastic career, loved around the game, loved around pretty much everybody he's ever played for, has had nothing but good things to say about him, always sucks to see someone like this go, especially, last thing I'll say really quick, I feel like I'm droning, but Guy was a sixth round pick for the A's when they were still in Kansas City, and he was, by the time he came up and was the starting third baseman, he was the starting third baseman when the A's first started playing in Oakland. So for the those new Oakland fans who got to root, root for their new team, he was probably one of the first faces they saw and were actively cheering on, and when they won the World Series... Again, three times in a row, got to be one of the guys who uh, fans love to see, you know, the most. He was basically their David Wright. It sucks. I, I know I say this every time we have to talk about this, but I, it always sucks. Just, I think he passed away from cancer. He was 78. God rest him. God bless his family and friends who are mourning in this time. We offer our condolences. May he rest in peace. Absolutely. And uh, just some uh, career milestones and notes from Sal Bando. I'm reading this off his Wikipedia page. At the time of the end of his career, he ranked third in American League history with 1,896 career games at third base, fourth in league history in assists with about 3,700, tied for fourth in double plays, 345, tenth in putouts, 1,650 almost. His uh, 235, they ranked third all-time in American League history for third baseman. Um, he had the Oakland A's RBI record until Mark McGuire passed him. He also had the team record in home runs for a right-handed hitter in Oakland until Jose Canseco passed him uh, shortly after in 1991. Um, inducted in the College Baseball Hall of Fame in 2013, if you're interested. Also, the A's Hall of Fame he was elected into last year in 2022. So he got one last ride into the sun before ultimately succumbing to a uh, battle with cancer. So Sal Bando, again, a borderline Hall of Fame-esque type player in terms of Sabermetrics, uh, obviously didn't get in, 
Um, I don't know if he's been heavily considered really in the past. I don't think he really will be. But still a very, very respectable, very great player um, has now passed on. So with that, we say rest in peace to Sal Bando. All right. So I don't want to necessarily do a transition into this next segment. It is going to be the meat and potatoes of our episode, but I was going to say kind of one from one underrated third baseman to another that we're going to be talking about here. You already mentioned Scott Rowland, so I'll just rip the Band-Aid off. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame now. This could go in many different directions. We could on the Hall of Fame voting process. We can on players or the Hall of Fame in general, but no. We're just going to keep things very general today because the election results from this past year have been announced this past Tuesday. I believe it'll be a little after a week since the episode has dropped. I just hit my microphone while I fix where it's positioned. Tony, you can give the good news. (laughs) Scott Rowland, only player from this past election process to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. We've talked about him ad nauseum throughout this process, both this voting season and the previous one and he was always the popular you know the golden child of oh he's so underrated he could get in if this or that or the other thing you know if bonds and clemens weren't there if Schilling wasn't there he might have a shot well guess what the first year those three aren't on the ballot and he makes it his first try so congrats to scott Rowland. again I, i mentioned this earlier he's actually a 70 war player and even though he doesn't look like you know he doesn't have the build of a hall of famer he never led the league in any big offensive categories he although he does have 316 homers that's more than i thought he had finished his career with a 122 ops plus that's not the best but the defense definitely picks him up for that he actually won eight gold gloves and was an all-star seven times he was a world series champ in 06 with the cardinals he was a rookie of the year he won a silver slugger back in 2002 that was actually the first year he was an all-star too when he was traded from uh philly to st louis Yeah, no, we've talked about him a ton. I won't go into too, too much more depth. But I will say this. uh, To all of those those Twitter heads out there that are bitching and moaning about the Hall of Fame, not that more people didn't get in, but that Scott Rowland did get in because he's not a Hall of Famer. He didn't hit 7 billion home runs. He didn't drive in X number of runs. He's not an amazing player. I think I saw one person say, like, Scott Rowland didn't win a single MVP, and he's in the Hall of Fame. What is this? I just want to say, shut the f*** up. (laughs) The Baseball Hall of Fame is so notoriously closed off to players who are, you know, it's not the Hall of Very Good. I hear that thrown around more so with the Basketball Hall of Fame. For a guy like Roland to get in the Hall of Fame, I think it's a huge step for those guys who were never really the superstars of the game, but came to the field every single day, did their damnedest, played really, really well, and even though they weren't exactly the engine of their teams, they were most definitely the rock in the middle of that rotation, you know, like like Roland with with some of those Cardinals teams. He was never their most feared hitter. I mean, goddamn, he played with prime Albert Pujols. How could you fear him more than Pujols? But still, a vacuum at third base, an all-around consistent gap-to-gap power guy who still managed to hit over 300 home runs with a very respectable slash line for his career. If you don't support Roland getting into the Hall of Fame, you know, I, I get it. You know, he's not the best player ever. But if you're going to say the Hall of Fame is like... It's illegitimate or it's broken because Scott Rowland gets in. Grow the f*** up. I'm sorry, Kurt Schilling and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens all deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. They didn't get in. You didn't see me throwing a tissy on Twitter about it. Calm down. You'll live. You'll survive. To be fair, I think we threw a little bit of a tissy on the podcast, but that doesn't count because we're not uh, (laughs) Twitter crybabies. 
Exactly. It's not on my Twitter. That's it, it can't be traced. Totally. <laughs> That's how that works. Exactly. But um, I was actually thinking about the uh, whole Roland discussion and kind of on some of the things you were harping. And I wrote down actually a lot of thoughts on it all right one day as, as far as some other thoughts i wrote down but that's more about next year and all that stuff so we'll uh get into that so i'm literally just going to read kind of verbatim from my notes section so uh, kind of in the same line as tony once said everybody that's getting angry at this whole thing we just need to chill out just think of it zen mm-hmm. just find your inner peace mm-hmm. <laughs> whether you're angry about this or you're happy about it i want you to do something especially if you're angry about it please listen to the following i want you to take a deep breath in and keep holding it so you don't have to talk about this because i don't want to hear any of your stupid (laughs) words about this suffocate for all i care i don't want to hear about you bitching about scott roll and not making the hall of fame anymore he's in get over it so here's what i have to say about this really He's going to be a part of this whole new breed of Hall of Famers that are these sabermetric darlings. They're going to get in because that's what the game has become, kind of. You have the guys that kind of chase the war, and Scott Rowland's the perfect example of it. He's got 70 war. I certainly didn't think of him as a Hall of Famer when he was playing, but that's fine. Because he's still Hall-worthy, more so than some guys who have even been enshrined. I mean, again... He's a sabermetric darling. He's like that unicorn. Yeah, he only has a little over 2,000 hits. Yeah, he's got great metrics. He didn't really lead the league in everything. He won a crap ton of gold gloves in a rookie of the year. He won a World Series, seven all-star appearances. He's got the stuff, maybe just not some of the numbers that you might expect. But I want you guys to look at some of the guys who played in the 20s to the 50s. Because baseball, it may have been a different beast back then, but if we're going to look about pure metrics that some people are complaining about, which are probably the same boomers are like, oh, I remember this guy from the 1950s. He was the fantastic player. <laughs> Here's some names that'll make you shut up. Let's start with Travis Jackson. He's 33rd ranked, the 33rd ranked shortstop of all time by Jaws. By the way, I'd like to point out Scott Rowland is the 10th greatest third baseman of all time by Jaws, just for reference, by the way. Jackson, number peak th- war production, by the way. Yes. Travis Jackson is third, 33rd by Jaws. He had 44 war in his 15 years, and he did not play well in the postseason. He may have been a popular player at the time, but he still never received more than 7.3% of the BBWAA vote. He had to get in by a veterans committee. Now, this one isn't an infielder, but how about Jesse Haynes? The 312th ranked starting pitcher of all time by Jaws. Yes, 312th. He has 210 wins. That's his career highlight. He also won three World Series, and he did well in the postseason. That's something to consider, but if you look at the rest of his numbers, Jesse Haynes is not Hall-worthy at all. If he's going to get in, Andy Pettit should be in because he's much more considerable than him, minus the whole steroid debate, but I don't really care about that. He only got in via committee because he had relationships with guys in the committee at the time. A lot of friends. And guess where this is going to lead me to next? Harold Baines! Not a 1950s guy, but a guy who definitely got in in recent years and can kind of go into that hall very good type of thing. Longevity and almost 3,000 hits was his key. And again, like Jesse Haynes, his influence within the committee got him into Cooperstown. And if you want to stay modern, here's a controversial name. What about Tony Perez? He was a popular player on the Big Red Machine. He got in via the BBWAA vote in 2000. He had great years. He almost had 3,000 hits, so he had some numbers. 
But what if he wasn't on that Reds team in the 1970s? Would he be a Hall of Famer? Did we consider him a Hall of Famer at the time he was playing, honestly? His metrics are worse than Rollins. Now, I could go on and on about guys who are, shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, and if I kept pulling names, it'd be from the earlier days in baseball. So if you're complaining the Hall's become the Hall of Very Good and nothing else in recent years, just take a look a lot further back in time. And if you're complaining about one of your favorite players, such as Greg Nettles or Keith Hernandez, not making it before Scott Rowland, I'm not even going to throw out the Barry Bonds of the world. I'm just going to even go for the guys that are fan favorites. Well, guess what? If you're complaining about them, we're complaining about them too. We think that some of them should at least be Hall of Famers. And that's not necessarily the current writer's fault, though. Rowland, again, the 10th ranked third baseman of all time by Jaws. Greg Nettles is 12th for anybody complaining about Greg Nettles. And Keith Hernandez, by the way, is the 21st-ranked first baseman of all time. Granted, in his case, Mm -hmm. Hernandez is surrounded by Hall of Famers and some steroid guys, so his case is a little bit more obvious. But he played the exact same years as Roland. He had almost the exact same amount of all-star appearances as Roland. He won a few more gold gloves than him, and their total hits are only off by about 100 or so. Just something to consider about Scott Roland. I know that was a whole rant and everything, but I felt like it needed to be made that yes some might consider it the hall of very good but if you're only going to consider that now because of what's happening in the modern day well guess what it's been the hall of very good for a very long time then and i haven't seen any of you guys complain about that back in the day also i wasn't alive back in the day so maybe i'm completely wrong <laughs> but i think i uh, make a decent case here dude i'm so happy you brought up harold baines i was <laughs> literally i forget what you were saying But there was a point where I'm like, oh, yeah, just like Harold Baines. Harold Baines literally has 38 war. Yeah, he played 22 years. Really admirable. I'm very happy for him. He had a good career. A great career, I would say. He's not better than Scott Rowland. He's not not by a long shot. He's not better than Scott Rowland. So if you're using the argument of Hall of Very Good, no, it's been the Hall of Very Good for a little bit if you look at guys like that. If you charted every Hall of Famer on a scale from war, Scott Rowland's not going to look like the outlier. So. There you go. And if it's war you have a problem with, like, because I've heard that going around a lot, then I don't know what to tell you. Go base folks off batting average like they did back in the 70s, too. Be my guest. I don't care. (laughs) I just won't take your opinion too seriously. Just real quick, some of the other guys outside of Roland that saw huge jumps in their vote-getting percentage. Todd Helton, I think, actually saw the biggest jump of everybody on the board. He's now at 72.2% of the vote. I find it very hard to believe he won't get it next year. Another guy in that camp is Billy Wagner, who ended up at 68.1. Something tells me they get it next year, hopefully the year after. Tom, I'm going to ask for your opinion on this in a sec before we move to next year's ballot. Mm -hmm. And just rounding out with some other guys, Andrew Jones ended up with 51.8. Nope, 58.1. I can't read. Terry Sheffield landed on 55% on the dot. He's going to need some kind of a Larry Walker type surge to get there. Carlos Beltran actually had a pretty respectable first year on the ballot at 46.5%. That's actually the same percentage that Jeff Kent will end his 10 years on. Kind of sad. Trust me, I'll bring up Jeff Kent again later, so I'll just breeze past him for now. A-Rod and Manny continue to kind of hover around that mid-30s range. 35.7 for Rodriguez, 33.2 for Manny, which I got to ask, by the way, who the f*** is voting for Rodriguez but not voting for Manny? Like, I get Rodriguez is a better player. Like, if you discount the steroids and everything, Rodriguez is way better. 
But you're telling me that Ramirez doesn't belong? He's got like 400 something home runs. The reason you don't vote for him is the steroids. I I don't get it. Last guy I wrote down was Omar Vizquel. Actually managed to get 19.5% of the vote, which with the votes, the ballots that were revealed, I think he only had like nine. So the majority of his, of his votes actually came from anonymous folks. I just found that really interesting. So that's that. Tom, question I'm going to ask you before we go on to the next wave of Hall of Famers. Mm -hmm. Well, the next ballot, I should say. Of these guys on the board right now, who do you think's getting in? Doesn't matter if it's next year, doesn't matter if it's the year after, who gets in? So I will say this, the next year's guys that should get in, there are some names that are going to clog the ballot next year, but I think ultimately there's two guys that get the nudge from this year's ballot that get in next year. That's going to be Todd Helton, definitely, and Billy Wagner as well. They both had skyrocket, uh, skyrocketing ballots that saw them shoot up, I think, both possibly over 10%, and if they both increase 10%, then guess what? They're both going to be in Cooperstown. And they both still have some time on the ballot, too. So even if they don't get in next year for whatever reason, they should get in in the future. And if they really don't get in then, they'll probably get in via a veterans committee. They should get in in the next year. I'd say those are two slam dunk candidates. Andrew Jones. He's not going to be next year, but I think he's going to be the year following. Again, he kind of falls in the Scott Rowland vein of he's a sabermetric darling. Also, a defensive wizard that has some offensive numbers to back it up. If he even had another four years at the back half of his career of relevancy, he'd be a surefire Hall of Famer already. Hell, he'd probably be joining Scott Rowland in this class, but he rose to 58.1%. If he gets around that Billy Wagner range next year, around 68, I think he'll make it the following year. And Gary Sheffield, uh, he needs a Larry Walker rise. I don't think he'll get it because people doubt him with PEDs. The other guy I kind of have to mention is Carlos Beltran here. I don't want to mention it, but I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are giving him that year one punishment and then are going to vote for him the next year. So I think he'll, he could possibly get in in two years. I wouldn't vote for him because of the 2017 scandal, but ultimately I do think he finds his way into Cooperstown, unfortunately, because definitely his numbers back it up. But in terms of the guys on the ballot, those are the guys who I see getting some uh, shine in Cooperstown at some point. I'll keep my thoughts brief because I pretty much agree with you on every point. Big thing for me, I'm kind of happy you mentioned Beltron because if you hadn't, I was going to. He appeared on almost 50% of all voters' ballots on his first try. That's usually a really good trajectory for getting into the Hall of Fame. I mean, hell, something we didn't even mention about Roland, speaking of that first-year trajectory, he's now become the guy who has gained the most ground to get into the Hall of Fame. I think he only started at like 10% and he made it to the Hall of Fame. That's impressive as hell. And if Roland can do that with no league leading numbers pretty much ever, I find it hard to believe that Beltron won't get in with his numbers based on a cheating scandal. When let's be real here, folks are in the Hall of Fame already with cheating scandals attached to their name. I mean, hell, Bud Selig is in the goddamn Hall of Fame. So yeah, I feel like Jones might have to wait a little bit just because of how clogged the ballot's about to be and we're gonna get to that in just a second sheffield i really do want to be hopeful for especially if folks start to be nicer to carlos beltron but i don't know it may be too little too late by the time he's almost off the ballot and if he does fall off the ballot then he's f because ped guys and the veterans committee do not mix just ask bonds and clemens how that went so that's all i'll say about it a-rod and ramirez need some crazy gains soon to get there and Vizquel's going to fall off, but we knew this already. 
Yeah, one more thing about Andrew Jones. You mentioned Roland. He had the lowest total to eventually make it in the Hall of Fame from the double BWWA. BBWAA vote. I'll just say it like that. Uh, He started around 10.3%. I'd like to point out if Andrew Jones makes the Hall of Fame, he would then surpass Scott Rowland for the lowest starting vote total to eventually make Cooperstown. He started at 7.3% of the vote in 2018, jumped to 7.5, about 20, then 34, 41, and now 58. I had no idea he started that low. I know, I think 2018 was a loaded year to be fair. But goddamn, seven, seven something for percent for a guy who won seven billion gold gloves in center and hit 400 home runs? Christ, yeah, God, that really? Yeah, that was a loaded year. That was Roland's first year on the ballot. That was the year Chipper Jones and Jim Tomei were on the ballot for the first time. Vladdy Guerrero's second Vlad year. Got in. Trevor Hoffman's third year. I don't know why it took him three years to get on the f- Cooperstown dumbasses. <laughs> That was Mussina's fifth year, Edgar Martinez's ninth year, Larry Walker was in his eighth year, McGriff was in his ninth year, you had God Clemens, damn. Bonds, and Schilling all in their sixth year. Yeah, that was a clogged ballot. All right, yeah, now I now I could see why, but goddamn, I'm thankfully didn't fall off after that, but still, goddamn, we're pulling for Jones. I'm frankly astonished that he's not in at the moment, but... Let's do a quick look ahead before our final segment of the show to the newcomers of next year's ballot. We're not going to build a ballot or anything like that. We're going to save that till next year. But I wanted to bring this up because, Tom, we've got a bunch of, we got some big names coming to the ballot next year. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to rattle them off super quick. We've got Adrian Beltre, spoiler alert, the only lock. We've got Joe Maurer, Chase Utley, Jose Bautista, David Wright, Jose Reyes, Adrian Gonzalez, Matt Holliday, Bartolo Colon, Victor Martinez, and Brandon Phillips. Seeing guys like this on the ballot make me feel old as hell. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. I'd, I'd like to, I would like to uh, double that point. <laughs> All right, Tom, let's get something out of the way real quick. Adrian Beltre, you first. Yeah, yeah he's going to be in next year. He, if he doesn't get over 80% of the vote, then people are high. <laughs> Very good analysis. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that that's all I that's all I really have There's, to say on Adrian Beltre. That, that what more do you want me to say on Adrian Beltre? Dude's literally one of the best third basemen of all time based on statistics and just pure validity. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Like, I'm going to be honest, I I'm I'm going to try my best to not make this a spiel cuz we got to get moving. But I'm only saying this cuz I don't think we've talked about Beltre at all on the show. Adrian Beltre is straight up one of my favorite players of all time. Just watching him growing up, and I didn't watch him a ton growing up, but when the Yankees and Rangers were starting to get into it, you know, when the early to mid-2010s, and he was basically the best player on the team next to someone like Mike Napoli, this dude is just, was just a joy to watch. I, I still remember, I saw one of the clips of him doing his, like, Adrian Beltre homer when he went down to one knee. I saw that on an MLB Network compilation one time, and my stupid preteen ass thought he popped it up, and then I saw it left the yard, I'm like, okay, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> Vacuum at third, and I haven't even mentioned the best part. The guy's hilarious. Like oh, Tom, yeah. we could literally we could do a ranking at any point of like Adrian Beltre's top moments, and it it, it would be valid. Like I, just off the top of my head, the, the whole banter with him and Elvis Andrews of him touching his head, the the strikeout against Felix Hernandez, who was also his buddy. They had Felix laughing his ass off at him. The the moment when he was like out of the batter's box, and the umpire told him to get back in, oh. move the batter's circle. <laughs> That's my and favorite. And the ump threw him out. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say the ump threw him out because he's a bitch. Oh, what about the time when he was like in the rundown uh, against the Astros and he ran like into left field to get away from him? 
Uh, no, honest to God, I love Adrian Beltre, man. And knowing that he's also like he's hilarious, he's a great dude, and he's also a 90 war player straight up. He has 93.5 war. Yet, yeah, Tom, when you said he was one of the best third basemen ever, you're not kidding. And uh, one last thing I'll say about Beltre, because again, I could literally go on about him forever. Are you familiar with his 2004 season at all? I, I hope you are. Well, one, I have baseball reference pulled up, and two, yes, that's when you have 48 home runs. <laughs> yeah. Which, number one, by the way, he wasn't an all-star that year. What the f***? <laughs> number, t- number two. It's a shame that hap- that he happened to do that the year Bonds just casually put up the greatest season of all time, and which relegated him to a second-place MVP finish, because he could have easily been MVP any other year. He had a 163 OPS+, plus, and that did not lead the league because of goddamn Barry Bonds. 1422 <laughs> that year for Barry Bonds. That's... Well, that that's his OPC. That seems... I don't even know, or his OPS. I don't know what his OPS plus was. I, I was gonna say if he had a fourteen hundred OBP, I'd be impressed because you could only go up to a thousand. Actually, you know what? Let, let, <laughs> he, let's let's look he, at it. He got on base one hundred and forty percent of the time. He was that good. <laughs> <laughs> got Two, on base when he was on the bench. Two sixty three was his OB OPS plus <laughs> for Barry Bonds. He literally lapped him. That's a hundred times better and than the second place MVP finisher. You, you want to know something? That's wow. not even. That's not even his career high. What is it like? Two eighty something. Two sixty eight from two years earlier in two thousand two. Two thousand two. Yeah, that's okay. his best OPS uh, plus year. That's kind of impressive because you always hear about 01 when he broke the home run record and 04 when he just obliterated on base percentage records. Ah, oh, God. That's 2002. God, I gotta look into that year. But either <laughs> yeah. way, Adrian Beltre, Tom, you want a tidbit about that year? Sure. That year, his 2004, is the highest, is the best season for a third baseman by war in MLB history. Well, no, 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 sorry. In the post-wildcard era. Hmm. Not MLB history. I'm sure George Brett would have a thing or two to say about that. But <laughs> like, since the wildcard became a thing, that one season, I think he put up 9.6 war in that season. He did. Better than all better than all of A-Rod's seasons, post-wildcard again. Better than Manny Machado, Nolan Arenado, Scott Rowland. Mike Best Schmidt. third base season, post-wildcard. Uh, no, po- post-wildcard. post-wildcard. Stupid. Dumbass. <laughs> but, uh, no. Amazing player. First ballot Hall of Famer. Not a question. Love Adrian Beltre. Now, let's get into some of the question marks, because there's a couple guys, Tom, who are a bit contentious as to will they won't they get in why don't you start us off who, who do you want to talk about first well i'll just go right down the line with the two guys who are probably going to have the most traction going into it and that's joe mauer and chase utley so we've kind of got two different cases here one of which is for one of the best hitting catchers you can argue of all time i don't know where he places in terms of war on catchers i could tell you his jaws numbers in a little bit and then you've also got oh, speaking of war one of the greatest accumulating war second baseman of all time. Kind of with that Andrew Jones-esque fall-off in terms of his numbers just kind of going kaputs. Still good and solid. Very serviceable. But they just went kaputs from what his numbers were. But those are going to be your two leading candidates going forward. There is one that maybe... Uh, no, he doesn't have a chance. He took steroids. That's Bartolo Colon. As much as everybody would love to see Big Sexy Enshrined... Uh, that's not going to happen. He got popped for PEDs, if not once, twice. So that won't happen. But that's besides the point. Joe Maurer and Chase Utley. Here's the thing. People don't like Chase Utley because of what happened at the end of his career. Does that ultimately hurt him? Well, that's going to really depend on how the writers 
necessarily view him. I don't know if he was ever really known for being a cocky guy or kind of an asshole to the media. If that is the case, then yeah, he might uh, suffer a little bit. He could be on a Jeff Kent-type run to possibly get to Cooperstown. He has more war than Jeff Kent. He had 64.5 war for his career, which is really good. Still shy of 2,000 hits. His OPS plus is only 117, but he did put up some fantastic seasons. And he didn't even, here's a fun fact, he has 17.3 defensive war in his career, didn't even win a single gold glove, which is kind of atrocious if you think about it. Uh, 2008 was his best defensive year by war alone. He put up nine war total that year, 3.5 was defensive war. Uh, Who the hell was gold glover? I need to look that up in the National League for... 2008, but I'll do that in a minute. My point about Utley, though, is from, like, 2005 to, I'd argue 2010, because he probably got hurt that year. He was a world changer, unbeatable, and then that's when he kind of fell off. So that's going to be the thing that hurts him. He still played till he was 39, but at that point, he was just serviceable on the stat accumulator at that rate. So, eh... He, he won't be a first ballot, but I think he makes a case. He's got the 12th greatest Jaws war for second baseman, by the way. Although the average Hall of Famer for second base has 69.6 career war, and he's got 64 and a half. He pretty much is even in terms of Jaws, and he actually beats the 70-year peak value by 5 war. But I don't think he'll get in the first try. Maybe it'll take him 4 or 5 tries. But if he doesn't make up ground at that time, I don't know if he'll make it. Joe Maurer, real quickly. I'll skimp on Joe Maurer a little bit so that way I can let you run with it, Tony. If you replace an M with a B in his last name, that would be Joe Bauer, and that would make my life so much happier, but that's not the case. An MVP winner, (laughs) three-time gold glove, three-time batting title champion as a catcher, keep in mind. Six-time All-Star, five-time Silver Slugger. To me, if we're looking at the definitive catchers of a generation, you have Yadier Molina, Buster Posey, Joe Maurer. Those are the three that come to mind. I could be missing one or two, but those are the top three that come to mind from the time I kind of got into baseball and can remember till about the time I started getting out of high school. Yes, I'm missing somebody. Paul Paul LaDuca. Italian legend. <laughs> yeah, he can be in your he can be in the Paisan Hall of Fame. He might be in the Long Island Hall of Fame for all I know, Tony. He's not going to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He even was on the Mitchell Report, I think, at one point. But my point still... Does he actually? I, I don't even know. I could be speculating. But again, I'll keep my thoughts brief on Joe Maurer. Statistically, catchers offensively don't necessarily have the greatest numbers, but I think Joe Maurer could easily surpass them considering he's got a 306 career batting average as a catcher. He won three batting titles as a catcher. To me, this is a no-brainer that he should get in. It's just going to take a few years, I think. I'll say this. I'll lead off with Joe Maurer since you let off with Chase Utley. My views on them are both pretty brief. I think if both get in, I'm not going to be too upset about it. But if neither get in, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'd be, again, too upset about it. But more so with Maurer than Utley, but I'll get to that in a minute. See, Maurer to me is an enigma. Because I don't want to penalize Andrew Jones for his his back half of his career slump because that basically almost that, that almost killed his chances for Cooperstown. I don't want the same to be true for Joe Maurer because Tom, like you said, in his heyday, like if you say nothing else about Joe Maurer, you have to say this. He had one of the best peaks as a catcher ever. I'm not saying he's one of the best catchers ever. I'm not even saying he's one of the 
like a top five catcher of all time, I feel like that'd be a little too presumptuous with guys like Johnny Bench and Yogi Berra mm-hmm. and Mike Piazza in his ballpark. But dude, look at these OPS pluses in his peak. 144, 134, 171 when he won the MVP. He could hit and he could defend remarkably well too. Not the best defensive catcher of all time, but still could get the job done. Joe <laughs> Maurer was one of those guys I watched growing up. Like I knew who he was when I was a kid. And as someone who pretty much exclusively watched the Yankees before I became a teenager, that's impressive. That that goes to show how how popular of a player Joe Maurer was in his heyday. The only thing that might bring him down for me is how much he played first base later in his career versus being a catcher. Although I do want to look that up, how much he actually played first base. Because, yeah, he played 603 games at first base versus 921 as a full-time catcher, that might knock him down a bit for me. Like, he's not first ballot. I'll say that much. He's not a first ballot Hall Mm -hmm. of Famer. But I think the bat will get him there eventually. Like, I dare say some folks online, I think, are overrating him a bit just because of his prime. I'll give you prime, but not the whole career. He didn't even play catcher towards the end of his career. So that's my stance on Maurer. I'd vote for him. Maybe not next year. Just, we'll see. We'll, We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Utley. I'm a little torn on Utley. If only because Jeff Kent didn't get in. That's my whole thing. They're both good in different respects. Tom, like you said, Utley's got the war accumulation. He's 12th for Jaws. Oh, by the way, the thing, that's something I forgot to mention about Maurer super quick. He is sandwiched all among Hall of Famers on the Jaws leaderboard. He's literally surrounded by guys who made the Hall of Fame. So if he made it, I wouldn't be surprised. Utley might have a little bit of work. Although worse guys by war have made it, like Roberto Alomar, like Craig Biggio. Or Red Schoendeist. What a name. Uh, But Chase Utley, he's definitely got more all-around value than Kent. Kent was pretty much just the bat. You could tell by his war accumulation, it was not the highest. If his bat went cold, the war went down, pretty much. But again, Utley, you could kind of argue, like you said, Tom, the prime. When Chase Utley was contending for MVPs, he was one of the best hitters in baseball, you can argue, and easily one of the best second basemen. The thing that might bring me bring him down for me is that second half, which I think is a little more jarring than, say, Joe Maurer's was. You know, OPS Plus is a little low to be a Hall of Famer at 117. It really does depend how much how much uh, weight you put on that late year slump, because Maurer never really had too many seasons below 100 OPS Plus. Once you get past 2014, Chase Utley had nothing but seasons of below 100 OPS Plus. So... I don't know, Chase Utley's more in the air for me. I don't know if I would put him in. Definitely not right away. I probably wouldn't vote for him right, you know, right next year. Although I will say this, if Jeff Kent does get in for the Veterans Committee, I'm much more open to Utley being in. They're honestly very similar players. It's just one is more offensive centric. You know, Kent leads all second baseman and homers. Then there's Chase Utley, who's got the postseason success, the reputation specifically of being an all-around player. He's not an awful choice. If he gets in, I'm not going to be upset. It would just, he just seems like a tier or so below guys like Roland for me, you know? Mm. That's where I'll halt my discussion before I ramble anymore. Looking at the rest of these guys, (laughs) Tom, I'm going to guess you feel the same way about the rest of these guys, that not too, too many of them jump out as obvious Hall of Famers or contentious Hall of Famers. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong, some of these guys were some of my favorite players to watch when I was a kid, and I'll I'll highlight one in particular, Jose Bautista. If he started his career a couple years earlier, or not not started, sorry, if he started producing earlier in his career, holy he would be a nice case for the Hall of Fame, because if you look at his prime, 
dude legitimately could have won MVPs. But nevertheless, one of the best players on one of the most fun teams to watch in the 2010s, had he unlocked his potential earlier with the Pirates and kept that going for just a couple more years, I honestly think Batista could have made it. Another interesting case for me is Matt Holliday. I'll just bring this up, Tom, and then I'm going to throw it to you because I realize how long I've been talking. <laughs> Holiday, low-key, he didn't put up a ton of war, which is why I don't think he'll get in. He only has 44.5, and for an outfielder, that's really not a lot. Still finishes year with 100, uh, his year, still finishes his career with a 132 OPS+. Plus. Finished as a cult hero in two cities, which I think is pretty hard to do. Left Colorado as a legend, then went to St. Louis and became a legend. I forgot he was a Yankee in 2017. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And it's fitting. That's the one year of his career he finished with a below 100 OPS plus because of course it was. But hey, you know what? That's a good indictment of uh, Matt Holliday. One season of below league level hitting. Good on him. Top five MVP finisher a couple times. Bunch of all-star games. Four silver sluggers. Great player. Just, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Don't get me wrong. He, if anything, is like the mayor of Hall of Very Good. I just wanted to highlight him. Great player, just don't think he'll get in. Tom, please take it from here. Yeah, and I have to agree with you with Joey Bautista and uh, Matt Holiday as well. Very good, very great hitters in their respects. They're not going to be Hall of Famers. And I'm just going to start rattling off the other names. Bartolo Colon, well, we already I already mentioned him. If he had no whoa, whoa, P... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you saying he's not going into the Hall of Fame as a trailblazer for hitting the greatest home run in MLB history? (laughs) I forgot about that for a hot sec. Listen, if we had a Hall of of Fame based on pure moments alone, that would skyrocket past, like, Bill Mazeroski's home run. That would skyrocket past, Kirk Gibson's. Kirk Gibson's. Like, literally, name a play. It'd be better than that. Absolutely. Uh, No. PEDs and he was very mid for most of his career should not have won the Cy Young he won by the way that should have been Johan Santana's mm-hmm. 3P um also a shame he got bounced off the ballot in his first year but even then I don't think he would have made it anyway unless he people saw him as like a Sandy Koufax type thing where he played only like five great years and then anyway Victor Martinez great designated hitter great hitter damn near round and almost won an MVP one year maybe on multiple occasions okay. Not a Hall of Famer. Brandon Phillips, fantastic guy who can flash the leather. By the way, I mentioned uh, that 2008 Gold Glove at National, at National, the National League 2008 Gold Glove, how I didn't think it was Chase Utley's. Well, Brandon Phillips won that award, and he won many Gold Gloves in his heyday because dude was seriously one of the best flashy players of that I've ever seen at second base. Not necessarily great defensive metrics, but he was flashy as hell, I can tell you that much. Adrian Gonzalez, fantastic hitter. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer. He's very good, but he doesn't have Hall of Fame-esque numbers. Uh, And then we have the two Mets. Well, Jose Reyes had a domestic violence dispute, so that ain't going to make him in. Also, he kind of had a terrible second half to his career, so that's not really going to land him in any favors in terms of the Hall of Fame. (laughs) But then there's Captain America, David Wright, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on him as much as we probably could devote to him, but that could be a next year problem uh, when we do the Hall of Fame stuff later. This is a case that if he wasn't hurt, we all know he'd be in Cooperstown, but because he got hurt, he's not going to be in Cooperstown. I think that's simply the best way to put it because 
Dude was literally possibly one of the most popular, definitely one of the most popular players of his generation, if not the most popular player in baseball at one point. Just go look up David Wright's baseball reference page. I guarantee it'll make you smile if you lived in that era. But as much as I'd love to say he's a Hall of Famer, I just don't think he would make it, to be honest with you. If he stayed healthy for like another five years or so, yeah, this would be a different conversation. But in terms of defensive metrics, he actually doesn't have great defensive metrics, even though he's got a few gold gloves. Jaws, he's only the 26th ranked third baseman of all time. That's not going to really get him anywhere, especially when the bar is set so high for third baseman. It's just unfortunate he's not going to be a Hall of Famer. I got to tell you, Tom, I saw a thread on Twitter one time, and it was, you know, quote with your response, if you could take any athlete from any sport of any time period and have them redo their career, but injuries are not a thing. Basically take an injury-prone player and run a simulation as to how their career would have finished. I thought of two names right away. I thought of Mike Bossy from the Islanders, which, again, not a hockey podcast, but <laughs> could have been the greatest goal scorer ever. Low-key, still top three. And then I thought of David Wright. Trust, there's a ton of players who you could think of, but just switching gears from hockey to baseball, he was the first one I thought of. There's a ton of folks in baseball who it could have been too, but Tom, you mentioned growing up, you know, in New York or in the tri-state area, as a fan of either the Yankees or Mets, you knew who David Wright was. I mean, hell, I was a Yankee fan growing up. Heh, did you know that? And <laughs> I couldn't help but love David Wright. I don't know what it was about him. He was just so affable. He was a likable guy. I don't know if it was the Captain America nickname. I don't know if it was his play. I don't know if it was Demeter. Or Honestly, it was probably a nice combination of all of them. There's literally not a human being on this earth who could consciously say that they didn't like David Wright. I mean, I know Phillies fans who say they loved watching David Wright play. That's the ultimate indictment. When Philly loves someone who's not playing for their team, it's how you know that's a likable player. And I, I agree with you, Tom. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I really, even if you stretch it like, oh man, he could have been great. He's only got 49.2 war, which it's not bad by any means. It's in the same realm as someone like Matt Holliday. And his LPS Plus is around the same too at 133. It's not going to get him there. It's just not. He's like Roland in that he never led the league in anything substantial. Actually, I lied. He led baseball in sacrifice flies twice. Get him in there now. But no, he just didn't have the numbers. He does, he does have some accolades. Tom, you said he won some gold gloves. He won two. He won two silver sluggers as well. He also went to seven all-star games, which for a 14-year career, he was literally an all-star half of his career. That's admirable. And it speaks to his peak a lot. It just sucks that his peak and his prime got cut so short because I truly think he could have been a first ballot Hall of Famer enshrined alongside Adrian Beltre. Or who knows, maybe after Adrian Beltre, since he could have had a couple more years on his uh, slate. I definitely think he's one of the more tragic cases on, probably the most tragic case on this year's Hall of Fame ballot, or next year's rather. And one of the saddest in sports. Like, I would have loved to see David Wright play a great career, put up like an 80 war total, and be a first ballot Hall of Famer easily, but. It can't be like that. I mean, granted, he's probably got a spot in Mets history. Like, he's not in the Mets Hall of Fame, but I wouldn't be surprised if they put him there one day. It sucks, but I gotta at least give respect to David Wright. Like, even though Jeter was my captain back in the day, I gotta give props to the Mets captain. Truly amazing player. Yeah, very nicely said about David Wright. I would I mean, listen, we could do a whole podcast just going over all of these guys' credentials and their careers if we really wanted to, but for the sake of it being midnight and the sake of we still have more <laughs> things we want to talk about, we're going to have to cut the Hall of Fame discussion off there. But until next year, 
or until other Hall of Fame news, I guess, happens, then uh, that'll be it. All right, so that pretty much does it for most of the meat and potatoes of the episode, but in case you didn't know, and if we didn't mention it in the major headlines and transaction tracker, we left off kind of two bigger notes of the past two weeks. One of them is definitely more recent than the other. One of them is pretty significant for the state of California in terms of baseball, even though they've got like eight teams pretty much out there. It's pretty big news, but we haven't done this... We haven't done a segment like this in quite a long time. But, uh, Editor Tony, please cue up the audio. It's time for our possible favorite segment on the show. Hit it. I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a man of faith, as there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. Oh, yeah. A deep drive to left, or a double deep drive to left, as it may. A triple D right here, you can say. (laughs) The double deep drive. Triple Ds, baby. (laughs) Tony is is very disappointed in me. (laughs) I'd like to point this out. We cut out some audio there to just to discern, like, all right, which one? Because we had a couple more stories written down. We just cut a few of them. And I said offhandedly, oh, let's use these two. Oh, we could do a double deep drive. And Tom immediately, like a bullwhip, goes, oh, I can make a dirty joke with this. And I'm like, okay, I need to see where this goes. Take it away. And I mute my mic. I've now unmuted my mic so I can explain this. <laughs> well, well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Um, please, if, continue. If we want to make it six Ds... Then Diamond Duo After Dark Double Deep Drive. Should I put in the? Should I just like blare the saxophone music right now? Just like full bass boosted saxophone. I, I, you know what? Honestly, I think it deserves a return just for that alone. <laughs> I'm gonna start it when I ask the question. I hope you know that. <laughs> I'll see how much bass boost I can get on it, if at all. But bare minimum, I'll put it in. Oh. And that's why God. we love Editor Tony. All right, let's get on with the triple D, <laughs> or you can say the six D, the double D, the double triple D. I'm going to move on because I'm going to get into it. Dick double is triple. up first <laughs> after triple D. Of course, it's Dick Monford. Of course, it's Dick Monford. <laughs> <laughs> We're children. Did you know that we we have the we have the humor and mental capacity? <laughs> well, let me tell you why Dick is on our minds right now. That's because Rocky's owner Dick Moffer. I'm making that my ringtone. I'm making you saying that sentence my ringtone. I'm sending that to everybody we know. <laughs> <laughs> Tom is turning bright pink, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you just, just you know. <laughs> I'm gonna stop because I'm gonna say something that's gonna get me canceled if that doesn't already. <laughs> oh, please do, please do. So, oh God, Rocky's owner Dick Montfort said that his team's gonna be a 500 ball club. That's laughable alone. That could cause me to go this bright pink. <laughs> but after that i think i think he might have some stiff competition right here <laughs> i'm like oh i God. just i just did <laughs> that was unintentional i would like to point 
No shot that was unintentional. You're saying Dick Monford has... St- <laughs> it's like my pretzel joke from two days ago, but dirtier. I'm on a roll right now. This f- blooper compilation for next year is actually going to be like an hour. I'm confident in this. You need to send me this full segment just so that way I can... Uh, oh, you're crazy if you think I'm not sending you this. <laughs> Bits and pieces, you're getting the whole thing. Nicolette's getting some. Everyone I know is mm. getting one. <laughs> mm. Everybody's getting some, huh? Oh, f*** me. <laughs> Welcome to the club! <laughs> Talk about Dick Monford being stiff. Go, go right ahead. <laughs> so, he thinks he... The Rockies are going to be a 500 <laughs> team this season. Oh, the Rockies are just as rocky as this conversation has gone in the past five minutes alone. Now, please keep in mind we're saying this after. Go ahead. I'll shut up. Their offseason consisted of signing Jose Urena, Pierce Johnson, and um no one else. And this motherfucker has the balls to say we're going to be a 500 team and better yet i don't know if you saw this tony he was complaining about his division rival the padres because they know how to build a baseball roster he's like yeah well they might only have they have a rotation but we can compete with them they might have you darvish and uh i'm blanking on the names because of all the sex jokes i just said uh, they have you, Joe Dar- Musgrove, Musgrove. There you go. They have those three guys and no one else. After that, we can compete with them. Is essentially what he said. Also, he did compl- not. No, uh, he didn't. He I will did pull. I will that. pull up the exact quote in oh a minute. God, because it's so. F- he's just a dumbassery, is what reigns. Also, complained because apparently he doesn't like teams that spend when he's done zero of that pretty much at all. I'm just going to pull up the article from today that I saw from, I think, the score or something like that. You go on about Dick. I just got done laughing. I can't start again. Dude, this is probably the least surprising thing you could ever hear from the same owner who said he would, and I quote, fire himself after the Nolan Arenado trade in the most obvious sign of virtue signaling I've ever seen in my life. I love the fact that he hates owners who spend. You know this guy was having a conniption in his office when he saw how much Steve Cohen was spending and how much the onus would be on owners like him to spend more. Like, trust us, we talk about the Pirates owners, we talk about the A's owners in terms of not spending. Dick Monford is up there now. I mean, he's always been up there, what am I saying? With those owners who should be shaking in their boots seeing what Steve Cohen's doing. Like, we've already given our opinion on Steve Cohen in a previous episode as to what he's doing being good for baseball. It should be good because it incentivizes fans to yell at their owners, why aren't you spending like Cohen? Why don't we do what the Mets are doing? I know you're not as rich as Cohen, but you got more change than I do, dick. (laughs) That could be an insult that it's his name. Um, but no. The fact that he's saying this is just hilarious to me. He also, the, his GM called off his offseason after, I don't know if you mentioned that, but they signed Jose Arena. Oh, they yeah. signed Pierce <laughs> Johnson, which by the way, Colorado native Pierce Johnson. I looked that up. So hell of a homecoming it's going to be for him. He and his 73 ERA plus from last season. His GM literally said, oh, the, you know, I'm going to pull up the tweet because I know you sent it in the group chat and it made me 
die laughing when I saw it. Basically, the Rockies just said, oh yeah, we feel really good about where we are right now. We've done a lot this offseason, and uh, we're going to stand pat. I'm sorry, that's not acceptable. <laughs> that's just not That's just not acceptable. How do you add two pitchers to your team defined by pitching and just say, you know what, that's it? Like, you can't say to the Padres, we can compete with them and then do nothing to make your team competitive with anybody. <laughs> by the way, I pulled up the article from the score that I was talking about. It's called oh Rockies Montfort Calls Out Padres Spending and Roster Construction by Josh Goldberg. It's a fantastic article. Very short, too, but it gets right to the point. So on their spending, he said, What the Padres are doing, I don't 100% agree with, though I know our fans probably agree with it. We'll see how it works out. Well, Dick, I can tell you how it's going to work out, and it's not going to be good for you. It says the Padres are projected to have the third highest payroll, blah, 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 blah. He said, Montfort believes that the lucrative contracts handed out by teams increases the pressure on Colorado's spend. No By the way, he said, that puts a lot of pressure on us, but it's not just the Padres. It's the Mets, the Phillies. This has been an interesting year and blah, 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 blah. This is probably the most funny part of the article I would like to point out. Montfort acknowledged the Padres' depth of talent, but believes they are not a complete team and will face some financial questions in the future as they try and keep some of their stars into the fold. I'm like, okay, that half makes some sense. This is what I was referring to. I look at the Padres, and they are a really talented team, but they have some holes, too. They've got three, maybe four starting pitchers, and then they're sort of like us. They have Musgrove, Snell, and Darvish, so I don't know. I like how he said they've got three or four guys and then they're like us. They've got three stars and then they're complete like we are. That's exactly (laughs) what he's saying. That's that's what's got me laughing. The fact that he outright admits it. We're garbage. And then when the the Pirates, at the Pirates, Padres are done with Snell, they become garbage. It's not like they just made the NLCS off of their pitching depth. No, not at all. He has the gall to say that. He doesn't have one MLB caliber starter. If he dares to say Austin Gomber could go toe-to-toe with whoever the f*** the Padres try to shell out as their five starter, I'm going to die laughing, as if I'm not doing that enough already. <laughs> I'll finish off the article by set by quoting Mumford one more time. I think we have a competitive team, and I think we are learning some things that we need to learn to do differently. I think this is really a year where we can really step it up a little bit. The article ends by saying they haven't posted a winning season since 2018, and they registered their fewest <laughs> victories in a season 68 since 2015 last year. What better way to end the segment than that? That's hu- that's hilarious. That's borderline humiliation. Like, you go out to the public, you say these things. If they don't finish in last place after this, I'd be amazed. Like, there's honestly... Like, this is the kind of hubris... That gets karma just to smite you down. Like, they're going to be in competition for the first overall pick next year after a tirade like that. God damn. How about you get Chris Bryant to hit a home run at Coors before you go on trashing the Padres, who just casually made the NLCS last year? How about that, dick? Have you ever thought of that? This is hilarious. The Rockies are hilarious. I hope they never change. This is this is too much. I, w- I wonder if hey, that... speaking of never changing. I was going to say, I want one last thing. I wonder if that's kind of a self-inflection of like, 
do we really regret buying Chris Bryant for that price now <laughs> after what he just said? It's like, are, do we regret that? Because I think he I think he does after what he just said. But pl- please go on. I was just going to say, speaking of teams that are too much for my sides to handle and aren't going to be changing anytime soon. Angels fans, you remember when I called you out at the beginning of this episode like an hour and a half ago? Ooh, 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 your team is stuck in hell, and there is no chance for getting out. Ironic for a team called the Angels, but to explain what I mean, Artie Moreno is no longer considering a sale of the Angels. They will be owned by one of the most notoriously bad owners in baseball for the foreseeable future, and I can't help but laugh. Because, Tom, we've talked about the Angels a couple times so far this offseason. They've actually not had that terrible of an offseason. They got Tyler Anderson. They got Hunter Renfro. They've got Gio Urshela. You know, they've got some nice pieces. They've got, honestly, a relatively sound lineup. Their rotation, eh, I don't know, we'll see. Shoei Otani's future, I don't know, we'll see. But next year, it looked promising. And with the whispers that Artie Moreno was going to be selling, oh my god, the banners would have been flying in L.A. This news, to me, tanks the Angels offseason. Like, I I still like the moves they made, don't get me wrong, this doesn't null the good they've done. But it also balances it out in the worst way possible. Like, you have a somewhat respectable team, but you still have your owner who's going to make you the laughing stock of the American League. You still have the owner that's going to buy ridiculously high on blue chip free agents that aren't gonna mesh well and or pan out in the slightest you still have the owner who treats the minor league peons like and makes major league baseball look bad from an owner's perspective I, i still i can't help but feel bad for angels fans if i had a team with an owner this this i wouldn't know what to do it's it's a good team but they could just never go anywhere and so much of the time it's Artie's fault yeah, they've also you've also had a lot of bad luck, Angels fans. Like Anthony Rendon, he's gotten hurt. Otherwise, if he had signed, if he had played at the level he signed that contract at, he could he could have f- around and damn near won an MVP at this rate in the American League. And I could go on and on about other things, but I'd be here all night. So I'll kind of put my thoughts into it after I read you the tweet from the Angels on January twenty third which is when the news was broken. By the way, I'd like to point out, there's a massive ratio on Twitter on the Angels post right now. So if that's any sort of self-reflection uh, that Artie Moreno should look at himself in the mirror and say, I'm a owner, I need to do better. Uh, yeah, you might want to look at the uh, ratio of this tweet. But at any rate, the statement from Moreno goes, during this process, it's become clear that we have unfinished business and feel we can make a positive impact on the future of the team and the fan experience. <laughs> okay. This offseason, we committed to a franchise record player payroll. Okay, reasonable. And still want to accomplish our goal of bringing a World Series championship back to our fans. Start with making the postseason. We are excited about this next chapter of Angels baseball. Blah, 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 about highly qualified individuals and groups who express strong interest in the club. However, as discussions advanced and began to crystallize, we realized our hearts remain with the Angels, and we are not ready to part ways with the fans, players, and our employees. I did not know that Artie Moreno had a heart based on some of the things that have gone on in the Angels organization. So that may have been a lie right there. If you couldn't tell, I put on some um, pizzazz into his statement of on my own accord for 
uh, the record. I, I just want to see what the best reply in this comment section is. Uh, ben Verlander's just clip of Michael Scott being pissed off got the most likes I can see so far. Um, a lot of people <laughs> complaining about darkness and all that stuff. Somebody put the stupid Burger King commercial Whopper, Whopper, Junior Whopper, and I got a lot of likes. <laughs> God, I hate that. The point is, and Tony mentioned it, you can't trust Artie Moreno. Yes, they put in a lot to this payroll, and I do honestly believe they did make more positive changes this offseason than negative. I think they're taking strides to get in that direction. But it's taken a lot of push from the fans and from critics until the results have even happened. And they still haven't happened yet. They're still trying to kind of metamorphosize a little bit. They're still in this hell of developing players. They're still in this hell of we can't win with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, two of the best players in baseball. But it's just sad because fan the fans deserve a lot better. The Angels, again, they've gotten a hit with a lot of bad luck. But at the end of the day, it starts and ends with Art Moreno. The baseball world cheered when he was going to sell it, and now everybody's just thoroughly disappointed that he's back. So I guess all I can say to Art Moreno is if you're somehow listening to this podcast, you got to start making some positive changes. Like You can invest in the payroll all you want. That shows your commitment to the team, and that's good. But you got to commit to everything else. Like Tony mentioned, you got to improve the minor leagues. You got to improve the experience. You got to improve many other assets of the franchise before we can say that your tenure is relevant again, and that you can we can actually put some respect on Art Moreno's name. Yeah, no, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I, I mean, I'd keep going, but we've rambled about Arnie Moreno so much on this show, and I guarantee you, as the season commences, we're going to talk about him again. So, God, I'm gonna cut myself off here. This is just a. Sh- situation for two teams out west i mean hey if it's of any note to their division rivals padres dodgers mariners astros jump on this you've got a division rival sputtering out of control and it's not going to stop anytime soon so the fans of those teams god bless you you could always be a bandwagon yankees fan we don't make fun of you because you'd be one of us it's just everyone else i would make fun of you (laughs) uh but other than that i think that'll just about do it for this episode of the Diamond Duo podcast. Got through a lot today. Yeah. Got through a lot. A lot of a lot of good transaction stories. Talked about the Hall of Fame. Whatever the fuck's happening with Colorado. <laughs> but innuendos that are gonna go in the bloopers folder. <laughs> I'm, al- <laughs> I'm almost sad that's like towards the tail end of the episode. We should just put a warning in the beginning, like, hey, listen till the end, listen to the deep drive. You're gonna find something really funny. <laughs> we went really deep. With that deep drop. There's another one to add to the collection. Fantastic. That's worth to like five now. I'm going to have five individual bloopers for this one segment, this one exchange, and you're getting them all separately. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So much fun to be had on the Diamond Duo podcast. We didn't even get into our bonus deep drive about Brian Cashman saying that Aaron Hicks is going to be the likely left fielder to start for the New York Yankees, but that's just going to be a sad reality for us Yankee fans, so I don't even know if I want to really go into that. That'll just stay a bonus. (laughs) We'll say this. If he's really starting the year in left field, trust me, that'll be a deep drive on its own when the season does start. If we actually went into it now, it'd be a lot of the same bitching about Brian Cashman. And we'll save that for when the year starts up. Yeah. There, when it should be. There's still time for spring training to happen and for hopefully a young guy 
to take over that left field role, a.k.a. Oswaldo Cabrera. Please, for the love of God, be the starting left fielder next year. But, any rate, Tony, do you have any final thoughts you would like to say before I wrap things up? I don't believe I do. Got them all out here. Um, I'm actually struggling to think of some final thoughts. <laughs> I guess I really don't have any. Uh, thank you for listening. Don't complain about Scott Rowland if you don't understand war. And, uh, yeah, the end. <laughs> good night, y'all. Or good morning, where, whenever you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. So I've said a lot of dirty stuff in the past 20 minutes, so I'll kind of keep it nice and clean and hopefully inspiring. Uh, as I do that. Very inspired. I'm going to go on with the end. Thank you so much for listening to episode 54 of the Diamond Duo Podcast. Please be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Diamond Duo Podcast, on Twitter at Diamond Duo Pod for more content, show updates, etc. Until next time, for Tony and myself, here's the inspiring part. Hope your life is filled with peace, love, positivity to infinity and beyond. Take care. Enjoy. Stay in school. Don't smoke crack. I'm ruining this. Baby shark do 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 baby shark do 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 do